Great track, isn't it? The Midweek Music Surprise Box. Box, that's what we're calling it. Oh, have a listen to this. Bit of enigma. Love Devotion. The answer's right here. They've never gone as far away as the panel is concerned because some people have asked, where have they gone? The song's called Return to innocence, and we're talking about this, and we're thinking, what has happened to Enigma? Well, nothing's happened, and they're still as good as ever. I mean, this is you, Phil, isn't it? It's been a hard week at Tompkins Wake Law Firm. You pop this on at ten past five, glass of wine, take your shoes off, and close your eyes. Am I right? Yeah, I'm not so sure about the wine anymore. Um, oh Wallace. yes, no, yes. but nonetheless, you do take your shoes off, close you your eyes, your shoes cup of tea, yep. and a little bit of Enigma. Is that right? Yes, that's that's right. Yeah, Catherine, same as you. I just completely forgot that they existed. Yeah, until that first I came on and I went, "Oh, that's right! It's, they were everywhere." Every, everywhere. Who didn't go? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Right? <laughs> Probably much like that, actually. <laughs> incredible song. It's just so incredible. Hey, let's have a listen for ten seconds. Here we go. Don't give up, use the chance, return to innocence. And Alan Jones from Music Week described it as a mysterious new collage of sounds and a haunting and well-constructed piece that sets ethnic-sounding emoting and softly spoken phrases against a dance beat and a swirl of soft synth sounds, uh, as you can hear there. So there we go, return to innocence on what we're going to be calling the midweek music surprise box here on the panel. 25 to 5, lovely to have you coming today. We are with Catherine Robertson and Phil Taylor. Well, an historic bill to create New Zealand's first smoke-free generation has taken its first step to become law. The Smoke-Free Environments and Regulated Products Amendment Bill passed its first reading and will now go to Parliament's Select Committee for feedback. Under the bill, anyone born after January the 1st, 2009, will never be able to purchase tobacco products and nicotine levels and the number of stores that can sell products will be heavily Restricted. Once passed into law, it will not just be a first for Aotearoa, but a first for the world. Before we have Dr. Natalie Walker to explain and discuss with us, we have David, who gave up cigarettes. David, welcome to the panel. Hello. How are you? Tell us your story. How did you give up? Uh, well, it was quite a while ago, but um, and I didn't mention in my text note that it was triggered as much by... Uh, a coming um, child, which somebody else I remember noted, and that. So you've got to have a good motivation. But I tried a few times to do what you called cold turkey, yeah, and that didn't work. And then I thought, well, I'll do this step by step and give myself a kind of two or three month program. Um, and it was really, I wasn't so then kind of obsessed with not smoking at all. I was just thinking, well, if I can get down to three or four a day, maybe, and see how that goes. And that just made the whole thing mentally a lot easier. Did you find it hard to give up? Yeah, initially I did, trying to do it all at once. But um, 
doing it over a, um, a longer period just gave me, um, I guess, a lot more confidence. But once I got to the first step, I thought, well, if I'm down to, I can't remember exactly, but it would have been maybe eight or nine a, a day. I was never really a heavy smoker anyway, but um, getting to the point where I thought, well, my real target is to only have a cigarette when I'm having a cup of coffee or a cup of tea or something. Yeah. Um, and then once I got that milestone, it was just a lot easier to, to kick it off from there. When's the last time you had a cigarette? Oh, I'm thinking that must have been 40-something years ago. <laughs> David, good, good on you. Uh, 40 years ago. Kia ora, David. Thanks for uh, being with us. Uh, well, with us is Associate Professor at the University of Auckland, Dr Natalie Walker, who is a fellow of the Society for Research and Nicotine and Tobacco. Dr Walker, welcome to the programme. No, thank you. So you heard David there, and I can tell you, speaking from personal experience, uh, Natalie, I found um, a cigarette, you know, your Dunhill Reds, extremely hard to give up. <laughs> well, I just, well, I just wanted to congratulate David for giving yeah, up. Yeah, 40 well years. Done. Um, that's awesome. And for anything that gives up, well done. You know, it's, it is uh, hard to give up, but it's not impossible, so... This bill, what impact do you think it'll have? It's going to have a huge impact. It's exciting. I feel so proud to be a New Zealander and I'm so proud of our government for doing this. It's a big step and it's going to make a difference. And the health impact is going to be dramatic. Just smoking is our leading risk factor for all of our major diseases, heart disease, cancer, respiratory illness. So we can get people to stop smoking and this, these policy changes are very radical and it's going to be a big step forward. Just If you could just turn your head a bit, uh, Dr Walker, so we can get a little bit of a clearer line there. They're going to be extremely radical. They're a world first. Are they too radical? Are there any unforeseen consequences of this world first legislation that we don't yet know about? But all possible always unknowns um, so we, we you know, it's never been done before some of this policy and so part of uh, being an academic researcher is to monitor progress and see if there's any unintended consequences positive or negative Alright, Catherine? Yeah, because I mean my first thing was like when you know when I was at school um, the kids who started smoking early, and I'm talking like 11 years old, did it because it was, you know, they 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 were sort of fl- flouting the rules and doing it because it was forbidden. And now when it is going to be legally forbidden, I worry that there's going to be this little black market, you know. Um, so what sort of education, I mean, how do we sort of get people over the line of thinking, you know, really understanding what the consequences are? Well, I think the whole package of policy includes um, education um, around the policy changes as well. So it's not just the policy change in isolation. So I think that'll be addressed. Phil? Yeah, I've I've got, um, I mean, congratulations on the the health initiative and and I I know it's a real problem and and congratulations trying to do something about it. I do have a concern about... um, they just go to something else or um, they just go underground. Um, For example, vaping, uh, which is just as harmful, I I understand. Um, 
what what modelling have you done around them? Just uh, just going on to something else. So um, vaping is not just helpful, so that's misinformation. Mm. So yeah, do you want to do you want to expand on that a bit? Because uh, there is some, uh, I guess, um, some people out there who do say it's just as harmful. So you want to explain the difference and why it's not? Okay, so so tobacco has four thousand harmful chemicals in it, um, and there's nicotine in it, and nicotine is why you smoke, but it's the 4,000 chemicals that kill you. So it's the tobacco that causes the harm, the smoke of the tobacco. Nicotine is not going to kill you. Um, And so this is about, um, it's a harm reduction approach, so taking people away, getting people to switch away from tobacco in as many ways as possible whilst making available um, access to nicotine products to help you switch away. Otherwise, you're making a whole bunch of people go cold turkey off, uh, off the tobacco So, um, because one of the policies is a nicotine reduction strategy. Um, and so by having um, clean, I suppose you call it clean sources of nicotine, so that's like nicotine replacement therapy patches and gum, but vapes are just another form of nicotine replacement therapy, I suppose. They're just not marketed that way. Um, and and so they're an important part of the picture for making this policy work. So there's no way the government's saying you should switch to something that's going to be more harmful or just as harmful as tobacco. That would be ridiculous. So And you're not because the evidence is saying they're not as harmful as tobacco. No, we've had uh, a bit of response on this. Clearly, a lot of people who uh, are smoking do want to actually try and give it up. You know, those on, say, 20 a day or a packet a day, you know, very difficult if you've uh, been smoking over time. So Mm -hmm. can I just mention this? For people who want to quit, you have a clinical trial at the moment. Yeah, yeah. So we're running um, one by the Health Research Council, which is um, a, a study that's looking at the new types of vapes, the little pod-type vapes that are available, um, and also a medication called cytosine, um, which is similar to Champix, which is, uh, if people that smoke um, will know what that is, it's another medication we have. So we're comparing medications used alone or together. So, yeah, so we're recruiting. There's very little evidence around um, these new types of pod vapes and how good they are at helping people quit. Um, we know from just people telling us it helps, but we just need some uh, robust evidence to be able to yeah. look at that more closely. Just finally, I mean, I find it actually quite extraordinary uh, this, uh, uh, that uh, you know, I've got a little son, he's four years old, so he will come into a world, Natalie, where cigarette smoking will not be part of his life at all. I find that quite uh, unbelievable and quite extraordinary that this is going to happen, albeit he can purchase it probably illegally somewhere. Uh, are you hopeful for this legislation for the kids now? Yeah, I, I am, but um, I'm also really hopeful for those people that are still smoking um, as, as a way out of this. Right. And um, the biggest benefit from a health point of view will be for those people. But of course, we don't want our young people starting smoking. Good on you, uh, Dr. Walker Kiora. Thank you for your time. That's uh, yeah. Associate Professor Dr. Natalie Walker, their fellow of the Society for Research on Nicotine uh, and Tobacco. Ever smoked, Phil? 
Oops, no, forget about that. Let's listen to some NDTs. I remember your smile. Just couldn't wait to get into the story, neither could I. Seeing the Netherworld dancing toys at the Ori, your hammer rack at Blenheim Road Christchurch, Snapper at the Empire, Minkard Art Cafe, some four-to-floor house music with Greg Churchill at the box. What was the music venue that meant most to you? If you loved music, you'd frequent a favourite spot. And often that music venue would take on an almost mythical quality over the years with tales of uh, some incredible moments. This was highlighted in uh, an article uh, on the Otago Daily Times that music cities must recognise how important music venues are and hard-working operating uh, venues they are. With us is Ben, and Ben joins us on the line. Kia ora, Ben. Kia ora. What, what was the bar, what was the music venue for you? Uh, the Vonda Bar in oh. uh, Littleton. Amazing and, bar. Yeah, and it was seeing the mint tracks. Um, with Cody and Ruben Nielsen. What can you remember about that event, that venue? What made it so memorable? The bar itself is pretty crazy. It's got um, sort of dogs' heads, there's lampshades, and um, yeah, it's just a really cool bar. And then out the back is where they've got the um, live music venue and yeah, it had sort of, they've used, um, I guess, like computer boards or something, but they yeah. made this <laughs> massive lighting rig, and it kind of looked like a, something out of Star Wars. Yeah. Ben, I've yeah. been there. Uh, a friend of yeah. mine said, can I just take you on a bit of a detour? I want to show you a bar in Littleton. I said, uh, oh, really? Uh, we walked in. Uh, had 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 one pint there and just actually took in the bar itself. This is in the nineties. Couldn't believe it. It was a very special, unique bar, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, very good. Have oh, you been there? Have I'm you not been sure there? Okay. No, I'd love to know. Uh, actually, Catherine, no, you've been to look... Ben. We've got some panelists with us. Catherine, you've been there. No, no, I've heard of it, but I've never been um, to the Bunda Bar. No. Yeah, Phil. Me, me neither. Sounds no. great. Yeah. Uh, hey, Ben, thank you for your memories. Not a problem. Uh, someone says, Frampton's at the Mount. 20 years ago, the best music venue ever. Another one here. The Glue Pot gets my vote every uh, time. And Squid Bar, the big day out after parties, a stuff of legends. I think with us now we have Ernie. Is it Ernie? Hello, Ernie. G'day, Wallace. How are you doing? Good, mate. How are you? I'm fine. Okay, your venue. Well, back in uh, Wellington in the 1960s, when I was at a student hostel, and there were two cafes there. One was called the Mon Marie, and the other was called the Chez Paris. And I think the Mon was around behind the Embassy Theatre in Courtney Place, and the Chez was in Willis Street, although I might have been back to front. And they were coffee shops, and um, no alcohol in those days. And uh, you could just wander in there, buy a cup of coffee in uh, the evening, 
and um, the Beamerton musicians, and they were really, really, really good. <laughs> I have I don't know where I've heard about these uh, venues, uh, Ernie, but uh, I've heard they're pretty uh, legendary. Uh, and is there something to that, Ernie? Do you think that that, that there's nothing like a good music venue? They they really are the heart and soul of a centre. Oh hell yes! And you know the modern generation is missing out on something because um, you don't you don't give a sing along music anymore. You know, I remember um, a lot of folk songs there, a lot of um, yes. uh, protest songs, you know, um, The Answers Blowing in the Wind, Time's oh. Arranging, that sort of stuff. Um, and you didn't have to be good uh, to actually get a gig at a, a, um, a place like that. You probably only get paid a cup of coffee. But they keep the audience um, having a wonderful time all night. Not like these days, are you, Ernie? You can't, you don't, you don't know the tune, you can't sing along with it. Phil? Yeah, um, I have fond memories of the Victoria Student Hall and uh, University Victoria University Student Hall and uh, Henderson Collectors. Ah, oh. a great concert. What a great in the, what a, in the early nineties. What a great band! But the venue itself, what was it? Was it a hall? It was just a hall, and yeah, yeah, and and beer, you know, and yep. slippery floors, and fantastic. Yeah. Catherine. Yeah, I was going to say Hunter Lounge was um, uh, one of the great venues. Actually, I saw Billy Bragg. I saw the Violent Femmes there, and I'm actually in February going back to see Billy Bragg at the oh. Hunter Lounge. He's doing three oh, concerts really? in a row. Oh yeah, three concerts in a row. And so I snapped up my tickets because I thought, yeah, let's go back to the de- back, however many decades that was to the eighties. Oh, that's and go fantastic. And see that. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, Ernie, wonderful memories. Uh, I mean, the Shapery memory. Do you miss venues like that? Oh, yeah, I do. Um, I, I think, you know, the whole generation misses them these days. Um, um, I mean, I play an instrument badly, but I wouldn't dare go up to the local cafe and say, hey, <laughs> can I come along and play for <laughs> half an hour on a Thursday, you know? Um, because they tell them, have you got 20 grand's worth of electrical equipment, of electronic equipment yeah. to back them up? Um, you know, it's far too sophisticated now, and you don't get, um, you know, the, the sort of the, the first leg up for amateur performance. So yes. I think we're missing something. You've got a point there, Ernie. Lovely to have you on the program. So there you go. A couple of listeners there. Ernie uh, had Shapery and Momory, their cafes in Wellington in the mid-60s, and Ben had the, the Wunderbar in Littleton with the Minchicks. And by the way, yes, people are, are texting in. Uh, the Wunderbar is still going strong. I think it was the first to reopen following the earthquakes. Uh, Shapery, for me, says Karen, it was absolute magic. The Empire of course, in Dunners in the 80s. Oh, my goodness me. Tell you what. And the San Francisco Bathhouse. You've got the last resort in uh, Courtney Place. Everyone. Yep. A hangout of the mockers in the 80s, says Kynwin. Um, mm, lovely f- to have your company. The Barbadakis. So many random mans for five bucks. Wonderful uh, texts coming through. Well, finally, on the panel today with Phil Taylor and Catherine Robertson. We discussed the other day the issue of drownings on Drowning Prevention Day. The other day, our stats described as a national disgrace. Last year, 90 people drowned, the worst year for drowning fatalities since 2011, when there were 91 drowning deaths. Now, one person got in touch and told us about a particular invention that has been garnering attention. So these are a pair of water shorts that aid buoyancy, you know, to keep you afloat until help arrives. The invention was pitched to judges 
and won the People's Choice at the Venture Taranaki Awards for New Inventive Ideas. Paul Gledhill is the one that creates these shorts, along with his partner, Sophia Joy. And Paul is with us now. Paul, kia ora. How you going, mate? Really well, Paul. What gave you the idea to design these shorts? Well, to be honest, I, I had a dream about four and a, four months ago, and I woke up from the dream, and from then it's just been full bore. I've been creating these shorts for the last three and a half months. <laughs> yeah, I was basically a surfboard in the ocean, catching a wave and riding the face, and next thing you know, I was making a pair of shorts to keep your head above water. Amazing what a dream can do, huh? It is. It's, it's incredible. I understand, though, that you were a former professional lifeguard. I am. I have done that before and uh, been a surfer my whole life and just saw a little opening in the market after the dream. It actually, yes, there's been a whirlwind of a, a creational process so far. How do they work? Basically, they just use simple Archimedean mathematics, which is just buoyancy over your weight. And when you're in water, you don't actually weigh a lot. And to keep your head above the water, it requires a small amount of flotation and just your general body shape creates a decent balance point so that it reduces the need to tread water. So you can go out and it makes swimming more fun, keeps your legs above the water, which most people struggle with. They struggle to swim. Yes. And if you did get in trouble, it means you don't have to worry about fighting the water anymore. You can still raise your head above your head and wave for help. But for the most part, it just makes swimming funner. This is, Phil, isn't this a great story? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I'm just first of all a shout out to you as a founder. What a what a, a brave person, exciting journey you're on, and you're an, you're an inspiration to me. I'm just wondering, do you have a budgie smuggler model? Sorry, what's that? <laughs> do, do you have a budgie smuggler model? Okay, model I've in been the, asked in the, twice in... by radio people. I don't know what your thing is with budgie smugglers, but <laughs> unfortunately, no. There's not, enough, there's not enough lift underneath the crotch to give you that sort of advantage. They're basically like a pair of bike shorts, though. so you can wear them under a pair of boardies. Like you just said, drowning statistics in New Zealand are at an all-time high, and as far as males go in particular, we're the worst in the whole OECD yeah. in the world. So they're basically a, a slimline pair of shorts you can wear under a pair of boardies. No one knows you're wearing them, and you'll float. Yeah. This is really great stuff, Paul. I really hope you do well with uh, your invention again, one of the people's choice, Invention Taranaki, Catherine. What are they made out of, Paul? Oh, secret wisdom. Secret, secret. Yeah. Go well, I'm wait, Paul. I'm waiting on a design registration, so I can't reveal too much about them, but essentially they're like uh, a well-designed life jacket that doesn't cause any chafing and gives you just enough flotation. Once they're, launched, once they're launched, we might come back to you, Paul. These sound actually quite incredible. So thank you very much for uh, um, giving it a bit of airtime on the panel. Uh, new shorts that can help uh, flotation. Now, news uh, just been released by the office of uh, Dr. Megan Woods, Minister for Building and Construction. Uh, there's going to be a, well, a plasterboard task force update for alternative plasterboard products able to be used as substitutes for jib. It's going to be 12 importers of plasterboard, four of them new, have 100 containers of product en route to New Zealand. Uh, there's going to be regular updating of guidance and ongoing communication with sector to encourage the use of alternative products. So um, maybe around the panel on that is this uh, 
uh, a constructive, a positive thing going into the next uh, few months. Phil, you first. There's going to be um, substitutes for Jib. Oh, I think it's got to be a positive thing. Anything um, uh, that, that broadens and deepens the market and, and creates competition has got to be a good thing. Yeah, Catherine? Uh, our friends are building a house just up the hill from us and it's one of those things where the builder, you know, and he's a great guy, he built our house. He's saying, I can't give you a fixed price and I can't tell you when anything's <sighs> going to happen because it's just impossible. You know, he's just going to get on as much as he can. So I think this is just, he'll be saying hallelujah to this because it just gives some certainty. Yeah. Um, it, it must be pretty tough for them uh, mid-build. Well, fortunately, they already have a house that this is going to be a you know a, another house that they will you know they'll eventually sell the first one and go over, but they don't have the time pressure, which is I think where it's just been getting really tough for people. So they're fortunate in that regard. Yeah, very good. You're going to be hearing more about that uh, possibly on a checkpoint uh, coming out about uh, uh, a new substitute plasterboard. Updates, uh, 12 importers of plasterboard, four of them new, have 100 containers of product en route to Aotearoa as we speak. Thank you so much for all your feedback this afternoon. And to the panellists, Phil Taylor, Catherine Robinson, thanks very much for being with me today. I'm Wallace Chapman. See you tomorrow, 3.45, Lisa Owen and Checkpoint next.